Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with special guest and friend, Pastor Phil Hernandez, and the message he's entitled, Seeing and Perceiving. Enjoy this message. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. What a blessing it is to be tonight here in this house. Amen. Paramount Reach Church. Glory to God. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. I want to thank uh, Pastor Omar. Give him honor and, and let the just the friends that they are and the wonderful work that that uh, that is happening here. But I just want to challenge you to 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 recognize something and that is that that you are more than a church okay and, and it's important that you recognize that that you are more than a church you you are an apostolic center and as an apostolic center you need to understand what that means so that when your leadership challenges you in a certain area you understand that that's part of an apostolic anointing so so uh, in the early days of the church it was not the Jerusalem church that was the apostolic center the reason why the apostolic center was not in Jerusalem was because the Jerusalem church was involved in a whole lot of infighting they were they were trying to get over the issues of uh, do we eat pork or don't we eat pork? Do we worship on this day or that day? Do we celebrate this holiday or that holiday? And they were so caught up in that kind of stuff that, that they, they never really reached their potential. But there was another church that did. And that's the church in Antioch. And that became the apostolic center. And that church, what it did was it, it raised up men and women and it sent them to the uttermost parts of that world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that was the apostolic center of the early church of Jesus Christ. And, and so you have to recognize that that's what you are. As such, you have to think that way. You have to, you have to celebrate launching. You have to celebrate sending. You have to celebrate releasing. You have to celebrate conferences. You have to celebrate because these are the things that we do to fuel and fan the fire of the apostolic anointing that God has placed in your midst. So it's not just a conference because that's what we do, right? There was a reason why way back over 40 years ago, the founder of this movement began to do conferences, to bring people back, to celebrate, to give challenging words of this is what we do and this is how we do it and 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 keep that fire burning and 
because the enemy wants to quench that amen when Paul has to exhort Timothy the reason he had to exhort him while also admonishing him was because Timothy was caving under the pressure of rejection and denial of other leaders who were trying to say he wasn't anointed he wasn't gifted he was just favored by Paul not by God and so much so that Paul has to admonish him you know that was not an encouragement when he said to him yo bro now I'm paraphrasing of course cut your whining I know who you are I was there I'm the one who laid hands on you I know the spirit on your mother I know the spirit on your grandmother I know what's on me I know what we put in you cut it out fan that flame and do the work that God have anointed you to do so knowing who you are and what God has called you to do in his body is important so that the head doesn't try to be the nose and the nose doesn't try to be the feet and so forth and so on and we are glory to God an evangelistic church planting movement with a vision to see the world transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ my wife is here she's, she's my She's my partner on this trip, and she doesn't always get a chance to be with me, but we're getting ready to celebrate 40 years. Of being together, we'll get married next week. <laughs> I'm totally joking. We've been married. We actually got married as sinners, and it lasted a year and a half. And then we, we, we were on the road to divorce. And, and I got saved. And, and God commanded me to restore my marriage. And, and so... So I tell people only a year and a half without Jesus. 38 and a half years with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to, to know if you want your marriage to work. You got to have Jesus in it. So you're in revival. Uh, you, you're, there's an energy in the air, isn't there? There, 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 there? There's something. You, you can't put your hand on it, but there's an excitement. There's a zeal. And the irony is you're coming out of COVID. You're supposed to be afraid. You're supposed to be timid. You're supposed to not want to be next to anybody. And yet somehow, someway, whatever's happening inside of you is not concerned with those dynamics and just wants to worship God. <laughs> Amen. I would love to, to just show the video of the worship here today to those who said you are not essential. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. Look at this. Tell me this house is not essential, bro. You better get it together. <laughs> well, 
I was on my way here and I was in the hotel with my wife and I said, honey, I, I really, I really feel uh, that the message I need to preach is the message entitled the sons of Issachar. It's a message challenging us to develop spiritual sight and discernment. In particular, the season that we're living in. But I said, man, I preached here about two years ago. That's about the time that I developed this message. I was in, 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 in Florida at a conference with Mark Sharona, and, and, and he began to talk and teach on, on the sons of Issachar, and God drops this, this message in my heart. But I, I, I thought, maybe I preach it here. So I get, I get with, with your pastor, and, and he says, no, you, you, you haven't preached it, that message, but I believe that's a message that our people could use at this season and at this time because of the fact that we are in revival and anytime that God is blessing the devil is messing right so anytime God is blessing the devil's messing and revival is messy Re revival is it, it, you know it, it it gets messy because messed up folk are getting saved. And because messed up folk are getting saved, they're coming into the church. They still have baggage. See, what got saved is your spirit. Your soul still needs to work some stuff out. Your flesh still needs to work some stuff out. It's the process. It's like expecting a baby who is born to walk, talk, and go to work. Oh no, they don't walk, they don't work, they don't talk, they eat and poop. Right? <laughs> and that, that can get pretty ugly sometimes, right? <laughs> and so, so the reality is that we have to be astute, we have to be alert, we have to be focused, we have to be together. We have to be together. More than ever, we have to be together because together is a spiritual powerhouse. And out of together comes synergy. And it's that synergy that takes us to greater capacity and ability. And, 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 and so it's important that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Can you say amen? amen. So let us go to scriptures and begin to unfold this message on the sons of Issachar. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Paul is talking to Timothy about the dangers of the last days. And he says this, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the reading of his word minister to you. May it find fertile soil so that this seed may land upon it and produce all that it was created to produce, that he may be glorified in and through your life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. They will be boastful and proud. Excuse me. There will be diff very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. 
They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, one of the things we need to realize is that he's talking about religious folk. But the reality is that in a move of God, in a move of God, like what is happening here, many of the people that are getting saved are boastful and proud. They have scoffed at God in the past. They have been disobedient to their parents and as such will at times be disobedient to your leadership. They will be ungrateful often. They will consider nothing sacred. You will have to teach them how to honor what is holy. They will be unloving and unforgiving. You're going to have to teach them how to love by the way you love them. You're going to have to teach them how to forgive because of the forgiveness they have received. They will slander others, sometimes you, and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good, but you will teach them by your lifestyle and by your unforgiving love, forgiving love, you will teach them how to not be that way. They will be cruel and hate what is good at times. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. You will have to endure that and in grace and mercy embrace them by giving them a new identity or helping them to see the new identity that they have in Christ Jesus. Sometimes they're going to act religious and reject the power that could make them godly, but you will remind them of the power that brought them to this place in their lives and over and over again, help them to repent and remain faithful to the work that God began in them. Why? Because if they are patient with themselves and with the work that God has begun in them, the word says that he who began it will finish it. Give the Lord a praise offering. I believe we're living in these times. As such, it is, it is imperative that we live Holy Spirit-led lives. If we try to disciple out of flesh, we're going to hurt people. We have to disciple them led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Led by the Holy Spirit and under the, the oversight of those godly men and women of God that have proven themselves throughout time. Listen to me. You got people in this house who have been faithful for many, many years. Don't discard them for the new hot preacher on Facebook or on YouTube. Who may be preaching a hot lick message, but you have no idea how they're living or how their character is. Honor what God has given to you. The reason why this is important is because we are in perilous times. And these are also sensual times. 
The word sensual means driven by their senses. We think sensual just has to do with, with sexual drive or attraction. No, sensual simply means emotionally driven. So people more than ever in this country are driven by their emotions versus their intellect. Though knowledge has increased, revelation is clouded. And the reason why revelation is clouded, I believe, is because it's made obscure by human emotions. As such, it is essential that today's believer be Holy Spirit-led and develop discernment. In these times, we cannot lean on our own understanding because these are delusive times. That means that these times, there is an intentionality to deceive. Meaning, it, it's, it's, it's part of the strategy of the enemy. And, and, and he's using social media and he's using popular culture to deceive you and I. We must be able to see the unseen. We must be able to look at the obscure. Obscure means something that is covered, that isn't clearly defined. And trust the Holy Spirit for insight. Insight is the ability to see more than what meets the eye. Listen to what the definition of obscure is. Shrouded in or hidden by darkness. Not clearly seen or easily distinguished. I'm telling you, beloved, we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare. More than ever, there has been a witchcraft spirit that has descended upon this nation. And the church is not calling it out. And because it's not calling it out, it's descending upon the churches. And we've got to recognize that the reason why this is so is because of what text I just read to you. It's the last days. And people's hearts have shifted. They've become lovers of what is evil and turned their way from God. Yet those are the very people God is telling us to save. So spiritual vision or sight can be defined as our capacity to see clearly what God wants us to do and see the world from his point of view. More than ever, we have to have a Jesus Christ worldview, a God worldview, because the media is a powerful institution and it and, and predominantly influenced by secularist attitudes and opinions. Secularists are people who do not believe and or honor the God you and I serve. Now, discernment, the second half or the second part of this dynamic that is necessary in these last days is called discernment. So sp spiritual vision or sight. Again, is our capacity to see clearly 
what God wants us to do and see the world from his point of view. Discernment is the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure or not clear. It's synonymous with, with wisdom that comes from above or insightfulness, revelation. God opens our eyes to things. Now, I want you to note this. When, when his perspective, meaning God, is our worldview, discernment is now possible. Okay? If you look for discernment without honoring the word of God, then you're leaning on something else other than his word. Maybe your opinion, your idea, or your philosophy of a thing, which most likely comes from your senses, your perception. Our perception is molded as we grow up and the things that we experience. So if many of you had never met a Puerto Rican, but in your house they told you, be careful, they'll all get over, they'll backstab you in a heartbeat. The minute that pastor introduced me, you went, he the Puerto Rican. Hold your wallet. Be careful. Is he really saved? Right? The reason is because your perspective had been shaped by the information that was given to you, whether true or not. Right? So this is why the word of God has to be our moral compass. This is why his perspective must become our worldview. Now discernment is possible. In a believer's life, discernment is essential for being able to identify good and evil. In other words, our life experiences can often affect how we view things. As such, without Christ in our lives, we are incapable, listen, incapable of truly discerning good and evil. Especially since evil often disguises itself as good. Did you hear that? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. He says this, these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Listen, he, this is so powerful. He says, I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves. As servants of righteousness, or disguise themselves as servants of righteousness... In the end, they will get the punishment that wicked deeds deserve. In other words, he's saying, listen, <laughs> what you're seeing is part of what the enemy is doing. This is what he does. Often he comes in like an angel of light, like a spirit of light. And his demons do the same thing too. So because that's part of the strategy of Satan, 
We need more than just sight. We need discernment. Amen. But sight is essential. And the sight is shaped and molded or your perspective is shaped and molded as you get the word of God in you. This is why you got to have the word of God. You can't live as a Christian from Sunday to Sunday off of pastor's message. Amen. You got to get his word in you. You know, some people say to me, Pastor, I've been saved, but lately I, I, I just, I, I, I need to hear God. And, and, and I go, do you read the Bible? They go, well, yeah. I said, well, the Bible is God's word. When you read the Bible, you hear God. Oh, well, no, it's not that easy. Listen, I've been serving the Lord since 1983. And the reason I, I turned my life to the Lord in 1983 because I heard an audible voice that said to me, no, who you need is me in an apartment on the 33rd floor in Spanish Harlem when I was ready to commit my, kill myself. I want to hear his voice every day after that. I have never heard it again audibly like that. I have had him speak to me, that still small voice that we hear the Holy Spirit. I have had him speak to me through his word. I want to hear him like, like that again. But he doesn't deem it necessary. Because my righteous one shall live by faith. And, and so I, I got to get, get, get moving and, and, and do what he has told me to do and trust what he tells me through his word, through the leadership and guidance, not only of the Holy Spirit, but other mature men and women of God that he places in my life to help me. Is this helping you tonight? So let us, let us move forward. Again, emphasizing the definition of spiritual vision, vision and discernment. Spiritual vision or sight is our capacity to see clearly what God wants us to do and to see the world from his point of view. We know that that's shaped as we get his word in us. The Bible talks about the engrafted word of God. That word engrafted means to become one. Discernment is the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Amen? Now, this is essential because we see it throughout the Bible. Solomon prayed for discernment and spiritual vision. When he becomes king in 1 Kings, it's recorded in chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? So Solomon cries out for discernment. I got to see more than meets the eye if I'm going to lead righteously. 
Isaiah spoke of the past and future ministry of Christ. Listen to what Isaiah says about the the ministry of Jesus Christ. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. Listen, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. In other words, he will be Holy Spirit led. Not sensual, not after the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears. Though he is human, 100%. He is tapped into a reality that while he experiences life here on earth as a man, the only way he can experience it successfully is by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The reason and the purpose God has placed him in our lives is so that he may guide us and direct us into all that God has for us. In other words, he will stand in judgment, not by sight or hearing, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The author of Hebrews says, God-led spiritual discernment is a sign of maturity. So that's why I said what I said in the beginning that I broke down that, that text in that these people are coming in. Don't expect those dynamics from them. And demand them from yourself in your discipleship of them. Because more than what we tell them Is what we live before them that will produce that next generation of leaders and faithful disciples. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The NLT reads it like this. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And I like that word and that interpretation through training. Because that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is training men and women in godliness. Teaching you how to be godly. So I said, well, what's godliness? It's not perfection. A godly person is not a perfect person. A godly person is just a person who is a God chaser. That's what the definition of godly is. Someone who is in pursuit of God. So the new convert who's in pursuit of God, who's needing to get changed periodically, is a godly man or godly woman. It's not whether they can quote X amount of scriptures. They're hungering and thirsting after God. And they're pursuing God. And as they learn, they take off some of the childish stuff. But they're godly. Teach them that. Teach them you're a man of God. You're a woman of God. Well, how can I be a man of God? I just did it. I just did that. Yeah, I did it too. But that's not the point. The point is that God has made a way by which you can shake that thing off and rise up, glory to God, and finish the race that he has called you. You're not disqualified. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Get back up and come on. Let's do this thing. One of the most 
significant scriptures regarding this dynamic of discernment is found in Matthew. The whole chapter of Matthew is about discernment. I encourage you to read it. Because first the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus and they, they can't even discern what he's saying. That, then the disciples misunderstand his warning. <laughs> you know, he says to them, be, be, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they go, oh my God, we forgot bread. We forgot bread. Oh, we, the master's going to kill us. We didn't bring bread. <laughs> then they misidentify him. Who do the people say that I am? Ah, uh, yeah, one of those dudes from the past. <laughs> the only one who receives revelation is Peter. And he gets blessed for it. That's why you find that the whole thing, Peter, upon this rock, the gospel, I will build my church in the gates of hell. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. Now that later on is given to all the disciples and subsequently passed on to us. But it's a result of revelation and discernment. You will not see the full authority that you walk in until you understand who you are. What that makes you, glory to God. And what capacity you now have according to divine desire. It's God's will for your life. To, to promote you from glory to glory. It's God's will. God's not looking to hold you back. He's looking to help you run as fast as you can possibly run for him. But he will not put you in a position to crash and burn. Yet in that very chapter of chapter 16, that Peter is given this, these props, he's also rebuked. The hardest rebuke that Jesus gave to any disciple, he literally said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but, but if you keep reading, you get the revelation of what was it that caused Jesus to identify Peter's behavior as demonically influenced. He says, because your mind is not on the things of above, but you're seeing things from a carnal place. Yeah. He said, because you're seeing things from a carnal place, you have become, now I'm paraphrasing, of course, you have become susceptible to Satan. And I'm casting him away from you. Because you also have the capacity to receive revelation. Because just a few minutes earlier, he, 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 he demonstrated that. Right? So don't ever think that you are beyond fleshing out. Okay? Don't, don't ever think that you are beyond that. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been a part of this church. I don't care how long you've been in leadership. There's a whole lot of flesh going on. Right? And, and we, need to, we need to, like Paul said, buffet it. That means beat it. Literally, we got to beat the hell out of it. That's not a cuss word, sweetheart. The hell out of it means the, 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 the influence of the wicked one that may still be operating in our carnal reality. Right? 
Amen. <laughs> I got to clean it up. There's a baby in the house. Not a baby, but a beautiful young lady. So, my last point on this is that this dynamic of spiritual sight and, and discernment is, is so essential that in the instituting of his nation, God appoints one of the tribes to be the seers, hearers, and discerners for the nation of Israel. And we find that that task or that anointing, if you will, was given to the sons of Issachar. They were called the sons of Issachar and they were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're leaving Egypt. They're going to trek through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And the sons of Issachar are anointed with the capacity to see the, the unseen and to discern the obscure. The sons of Issachar understood chronological time, but they also understood spiritual and political time. The sons of Issachar could discern what God was doing and when he was doing it. They knew when one move of God was ending and another was beginning. They could discern when a leader was falling and another leader was rising. They could even tell you who the next leader should be. They knew who to follow and when to follow. Not only that, but the sons of Issachar also excelled in the knowledge of God's law, meaning his word. They were full of wisdom. In fact, God chose the sons of Issachar to be one of the three tribes to go out in front of Israel whenever the nation moved. So think about this. One of the greatest revivals in human history is happening. A family goes into Egypt, a nation comes out. He gives them some structure, some order. They build a tabernacle, the presence of God. While in the wilderness during the day, a cloud covers them. During the day, a cloud covers them to keep it cool for them. At night, a pillar of fire to warm them up. Whenever that pillar or that fire moved, which is, which is the presence of God, Whenever that pillar moved, they had to strike camp systematically, not just chaotically, systematically. There was an order on how they struck the camp, and they needed to begin to march in the way that that cloud or that pillar of fire was moving. So it's a move of God. Say move of God. In a move of God, God is taking you from one place to another. So if you're in revival... Spiritually, God is doing something because he's getting ready to take you from one place to another. Prophetically, it has been revealed to you because even your name has changed. Your name identifies a new season. 
something. It doesn't mean that our DNA changes. It doesn't mean that God's call on our lives change. It just means that, that the name is saying there's a shift that is happening. It, it's, it's, a, it's a physical manifestation of a spiritual happening, right? And so, so this is where you're at. The pillar is moving or the, fire, the pillar of fire or the, or the cloud is moving. Now, I said before that that movement, because any time that something moves from a set place to another place, that interim is, makes them transient, meaning transitory. You are transitioning from one place to another. In military terms, that is the most vulnerable time when, a, when, a, when, a, when the army is moving. It's vulnerable. It's, vo- it's, so it's a very vulnerable time. Revival, though an outpouring, spiritual outpouring, is also a vulnerable time. It's also a vulnerable time because you are transitioning. Excuse me. You are transitioning. You're moving. So there's an exposure that happens. Right? So, so there was a systematic manner in which the tribes would line up. And there were three tribes that were supposed to be at the front of that transition. And I want to equate the function of these three tribes to to functions in the local body. Okay? The three tribes were this one. Judah, the worshipers. Judah's the tribe Jesus comes from. The other tribe was Issachar, the seers, the discerners. And the third tribe was Zebulon. They were money makers. Anybody who says that money's not essential in the move of God doesn't understand and doesn't understand the word of God. Because even though money is not the source, money is a resource. And money helps facilitate what has to happen. So, so Zebulun Whatever they did prospered. They, made, they, they turned the dollar into 10. It's, it was their anointing. In this house, you got men and women who are anointed. You're like kings. You, you, you go and get the wealth and you bring it to the house for the distribution. They're the kingly anointing on you. They're the Zebulun anointing on you. Amen. Don't despise your liberality. It's your liberality that keeps you flowing because he gives seed to the sower. The minute you stop sowing, there'll be a diminishment of your seed. Right? So Zebulun's job was to finance Issachar. Because Issachar's job was to get the mind of God. Get the mind of God. Hear from God. Don't get caught up in in the business of this world. Zebulon takes care of that. So the worshipers, that which declares the kingdom and the goodness and the power 
For miles, they would hear the drumbeat and go, oh my God, those Israelites that destroyed the other kites are coming to us. We're in trouble. And it sent fear down the spine of any, any tribe or people group. So here you have the, the tip of a spear, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, the Ark of the Tabernacle behind, and the other tribes. Who encounters the resistance First, those three tribes, the tip of the spear, whether by revelation, it's, it's, they were created to announce, to declare, to hear, to warn, to facilitate. So I tell moved of God, I said, in your revival, Safeguard the heart of your worshipers. Cover each other. Intercede for each other. Many a revivals have died because people started flaking out in the praise and worship. Safeguard the prophets, the hearers, the seers. Honor them, but make sure you stay in submission and in order to whoever the leadership of the house is. Because there is nothing that has hurt a move of God more in the past than prophets who thought they alone heard God for the house. So discernment and, and insight or foresight can also cause you, if you're immature, to become religiously self-righteous. So you have to stay humble. You have to stay humble. Same thing with Debulon. When, when you believe that what you have is yours alone and it's not for what God is doing, then you begin to withhold instead of distribute. And so I've seen revivals hurt by a lack of resources. We want to plant a church, but we don't have the money to do so. We want to bring another staff on, 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 another person on staff, but we don't have the resources to do it. So in your intercession, in your prayer at the church, recognize that in this move of God, in this revival, pray for your worship teams. Pray for your prophetic voices. Pray for those people that, that, that are in leadership positions, whether it's the board of directors, people that have wisdom in order to safeguard the corporation, if you will. Pray for them that they lead wisely, that they lead humbly, that they lead righteously. Why? Because the enemy is going to try to come against those areas first. We know he's always trying to attack the, the preacher because the word of God teaches to strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So we know that he's always trying to do that. And more often before something comes against the body, it comes against the head. Amen. So let me give you a few more biblical examples of the sons of Issachar 
to put an exclamation point and then pray tonight for you or maybe even contend for you tonight that God will give you the same discernment and the same spiritual sight in order to take this revival to the next level where God wants it. So here are some examples of of historically recorded sons of Issachar actions that affirmed who they were. The first is they supported a female ruler when it may not have been popular. In the times when Israel was governed by judges before it had kings around 1100 BC or earlier, according to some scholars, a woman rose up to judge the land. Her name was Deborah. Although women did have rights in Israel, it would still have been unusual for a woman to sit in authority over the nation. Nevertheless, God was with Deborah. He placed her in authority and the sons of Issachar knew it. Therefore, they sided with Deborah and went out to battle under her leadership. Pretty gutsy move. Why did they do it? Because they could discern the times and seasons and they knew God's hand was on her and it was her time to rule. They gained a great victory and freed the land from foreign rule as a result. You can read that in Judges chapter 5. The second testimony of their function within God's people was they supported King David before he became king when he was not popular with King Saul. He was in power at the time before King David, the second king of Israel, began to reign. Warriors from 12 tribes started gathering to him. All the tribes were split. In other words, the other 11 tribes were split. Half supported Saul, half supported David. Except one tribe, the tribe of Issachar was united in their support of David, according to the passage quoted above uh, uh, in 1 Chronicles 12.32, where it says this, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Why did all Issachar support David? Because they knew that God had called him to become king. They knew that his time had become had come, they could discern the changing of times. It worked out well. To, to David became the next king and remains to this day the most famous king in Israel and all of history. Beloved spiritual vision and insight gave the Issacharians discernment and great advantage in facing life and its many twists and turns. The sons of Issachar had something special. Their ability to discern the times and seasons was incredibly advantageous. This anointing gave them inside knowledge and understanding of God's activities. They were not taken by surprise when things happened. They had influence as a result of their unique ability to understand times and seasons. They knew what Israel should do and when it should be done. The nation followed their example. Now, as I close, what is it that Jesus rebukes the people of his day for? Not knowing how to discern spiritual seasons. They knew when it was time to plant. They knew when it was time to gather. But they could not discern 
the spiritual times. You don't have to be prophetic or have a prophetic gifting or calling to have discernment and to be an intercessor in this house. All you have to be is compassionate and sensitive to the voice of God and the leading of his spirit. So what I'm saying with that is this anointing can be yours today. Yeah. And you go, how, Pastor? How, how could I have this, this anointing? I, I, I just got saved. I, I just got, gave my life to, to, to the Lord. First of all, you have to do this. You got to recognize that God is no respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 says, for there is no partiality with God. Acts 10.34 tells us, then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. If God gave the sons of Issachar a special spiritual ability, he's also able to give you and me the same ability. We're not talking about a gift of, 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 if you will, of prophecy. We're talking about the capacity to see and to discern. Necessary for our maturity and our growth. The second thing you got to know is that in Christ Jesus, all the blessings God gave Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, also belong to you. Galatians 3.9 tells us, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Galatians 3.13-14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Because we are adopted into God's family through Christ. We are entitled, listen to me, entitled to all the blessings of Abraham. So now that you know you can have whatever God gave the Jews, you have only to ask. So what did I say? What are the three things required to receive this? First of all, know that you're no lesser than anyone else that you read about. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. You are an heir of divine blessings and promises because you are sons of Abraham. So ask. Ask God for this anointing of the son of Issachar. Ask him to give you the ability to discern the times and seasons and always know what to do. All of God's promises are available to us. All we have to do is ask. And after you ask, start paying attention. When you feel like something new is about to happen, when you feel reluctant to make a certain decision just yet because you feel like it isn't quite time, when you feel like you should take on anything new right now because you feel like a new door is about to open when God needs you to stand for something or someone that is biblically supported but isn't popular when God starts to give you influence and people follow your example this is the anointing in your job 
on your block, in your home, in your school, in your church. So go ahead and ask God. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Do you believe that God would choose you and not give you what you need? That would not make him a righteous God. That would make him an egomaniac, a manipulator. That's not my God. That's not your God. So if he chose you, he also has made available for you those things that will serve you in living a successful life in him. So that as the enemy comes against this body in the season of revival, what the enemy intends for evil, God can use for good. When somebody stumbles, there's a whole slew of people not criticizing, but lifting them up and encouraging them and saying, hey, I know what you're going through, baby. I know, been there, done that. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Don't quit. Don't give up. Maybe you're here today. I believe that there are some people here that your Christianity is marked by, I'm going to use this language to describe it, taking one step forward and two steps backwards. And inconsistency has become the most consistent thing in your Christian walk. I believe tonight, whatever stronghold has kept you back, God is going to open your eyes to what it is. And I believe we're going to pray for you. And I believe it's going to break. And I believe that from one step forward and two back, it's going to be more like two forward, one back, maybe two more forward, one back, maybe three forward. Uh, are you tracking with me? If, that, if that's you, I, I want you to just stand up and, and come up here. I, wa I, I want to pray a prayer with you. Glory to God. So that we can see the more of God unleashed in your life. Remember John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. But he has come. That you may have what? Life and how? In fullest form. In abundance. This, this discourages, man. This, this stuff discourages. This stuff discourages. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to discourage you. And, 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 but, but you've got the power inside of you to, to really, really run with this thing. For real, for real. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're constantly pressing into God. Honey, come up here. I want, I want to give them a visual. 
So, so my wife is the representation of God. And, and this is kind of like, turn this way and hold me. This is kind of what you see. This is kind of what you see your life like. God holding on to you and you consistently going an opposite direction. Right? His love has restrained you and constrains you. And we thank God for that. But that's not very fruitful. Paul says, the way I live my life is I press into the one who pressed into me. Paul says, I press into the one who pressed into me. This is how God wants to live with you. He's always going to press into you. He wants you to press into him. No matter whether you're on a high note or low note, press into him. No matter if you just experienced the greatest failure in your life, press into him. No matter what has happened, press into him. He's pressing into you. Together, 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 we can accomplish greatness. Thank you, honey. That's who I'm calling to the altar. Those, I gave you that visual so you can see it. Press into him. Press into him. Others, others. We're going to break that cycle tonight. We're going to press, break that cycle tonight. Press into him. Listen, maybe you've been backslidden. Tonight's your night to press into him. Maybe you came for the first time and you say, what do I have to do to get born again? Press into him. That's all you got to do is press into him. Purpose today to press into him. Purpose today to press into him. Purpose today to press into him. Well, how do I know if I'm saved? Press into him. Press into him. Press into him. You'll know. You'll know that you know that you know. Because as you press into him, he will press into you. And things that have been hindering you will all of a sudden begin to lose their foothold. And you will notice they begin to leave your life. Because naturally that's what happens when the presence of God is in us and with us. He comes to bless. He comes to empower. He comes to lift up. He comes to encourage. He is a loving God. Anyone else? Maybe you haven't been serving God. Maybe you were a visitor today. This is the pretty crazy stuff that these people are talking about. I'm telling you, this is a real God and he loves you. How can, how can he love me? He don't know what I've done. Yes, he does. And he loves you anyway. And he loves you anyway. Press into him. If you're here today, press into him. Press into him. Stand up and come up here. Press into him. Press into him. Press into this loving God, this loving, caring God. He's better than any friend. He's better than any father. He's better than any mother. He's better than anyone in your life you have ever experienced. He is a true loving God who cares about you and loves you and wants to bring you to a place of increase, bring you to a place of promotion, bring you to a place of revelation, of discernment, of insight, of power, dominion, and authority. 
He wants to give you the same keys he gave to Peter. He wants to give you the same anointing that he gave to his apostles and prophets. I'm going to do one more thing. Those of you that are still in your chair, just, just stand up because you can get some of this too for whatever reason. Listen, I'm not here to judge anyone, but I am here to testify that I've been saved and serving God for 39 years and, and I can speak to you based on my life experience. Even as a pastor, there are strongholds that have hindered my progress at times. Strongholds, a way of thinking that are contrary to the word and the will of God. That doesn't didn't make me, it didn't disqualify me as a pastor. It just robbed me. It just robbed me because that's what the devil does. He comes to rob you. It doesn't mean you're backslidden. It doesn't mean you're a devil. It just means you're human. And if you're human and you're here today, you have had to overcome strongholds. You may be overcoming a stronghold right now. And I'm here to tell you that the way to overcome that stronghold is to press in. Don't settle for it. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for the mess. Press in. Press in. Press in. The more of him is manifest in your life, the less of you is glorified. I want to say a corporate prayer, not to minimize the individual praying that is taking place right now by intercessors, but I, I want you to be able to repeat with me a specific prayer. I want you to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess you are my Lord and Savior. I have yielded myself to you. I purpose to press into you. Jesus, you are everything. Holy Spirit, I give you the right to lead me, to guide me, to drive me in pursuit of Jesus and all he represents. Forgive me if I've rebelled against your word and your ways. If I have been prideful or if I have acted self-sufficient, today I purpose to be dependent upon you, Holy Spirit, surrendering myself and yielding to your guidance. Jesus, cleanse me in your blood. Restore right spirit within me. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil that I may live this Christian life victorious, ascending as you have purpose for me from glory 
to glory to glory help me be a productive member in this house a part of the revival of this house give me ears to hear eyes to see I receive this Issacharian anointing I receive the anointing that was placed upon the sons of Issachar I receive it give me eyes to see ears to hear that I may make wise decisions and glorify you father in the name of Jesus I receive it and I move forward not looking back moving forward to achieve your purpose in my life in Jesus name God bless you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.